Welcome to the Harvard College of Business podcast. War Eagle and good day, everybody. It is your hosts, Curry Dias and Sarah Gascon. Thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of the Harvard College of Business podcast. Today, we're joined by Mr. Larry Patrick. Larry is a former Auburn University basketball star and earned his degree in economics. He's currently a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and Larry serves on the advisory board for the Shepherd Center and Georgia State University School of Health Administration, as well as being an active board member of the Boys and Girls Club of Metro Atlanta. Larry, there's a lot going on right now. Why don't we just simply start with economics? Could you explain some of the larger problems within the economy because of what's happening right now with the pandemic, the protests, uh, the impending election, and some of the challenges we face as a society at large? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll start with uh, the pandemic. You know, there's good news, bad news. So the good news is that prior to the pandemic, the economy and, and where we were was fairly solid. Um, you know, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with our economy. And that's even the, the global economy for that matter. Um, but with the pandemic, uh, what you have, which is certainly the first time I've experienced it in my lifetime, was not a gradual decline, which is what happens in a normal recession environment, but an absolute almost overnight decline where we went from you know, full engagement to almost zero engagement. Certainly in some industries, as you look at the uh, airline industry or hospitality industry, it was almost overnight that those industries went to what would be considered zero uh, productivity. And as that begins to, so where we are now with um, the pandemic, with seeing in many cases, declining numbers. Uh, I do think we're on the verge of a vaccine that could be available uh, as soon as end of the year and then wide-scale wide deployment, you know, first quarter. So as we're coming out of that, that bit uh, built up capacity begins to unfold. Um, I do think, you know, the stimulus packages that were, were used to, to help those that needed it uh, is going to go a long way from the standpoint of us being able to recover. So I'm 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 optimistic from the standpoint of of where we'll be uh, certainly by by second quarter, 2021. And then you ask the the questions around some of the challenges we're having um, uh, with you know the the challenges around race and and diversity and inclusion and the pandemic. Uh, absolutely highlights many of the, the underlying issues. So if you think about health disparities and some of the challenges we face there, you know, you can look at the data and the data plays itself out around uh, the adverse impact to diverse populations, black populations, Latino populations from the pandemic. And it's not that, you know, the disease is somehow more uh, predisposed to affect those populations, just the underlying systemic issues that are at play. And so when you, when you think about any prolonged uh, delay in either a vaccine uh, and or in some cases, folks have talked about herd immunity and I'm, I'm happy to go into that if necessary. 
if that timeline is elongated, then the more adverse effect it's going to have on diverse populations. And so anything that's taking place there is going to be absolutely uh, magnified. And that, that's something that we all need to keep an eye on for sure. Larry, what are some of the lessons that companies like PwC have learned from the pandemic and decision makers like yourself have learned uh, in order to be better prepared in case the unexpected happens again? So I, I think there are a number of things. You know, I had a great conversation with a, a client actually that does strategy for a living. And, and she said, which I thought was very insightful, for the first time in her career, she's witnessed strategy immediately converting to execution almost overnight. You know, oftentimes, you know, a, a strategy is developed and then it takes time before you see the, the strategy play itself out. And because of the pandemic, that time frame had to be compressed. So the first thing is the knowledge that we absolutely can go from strategy to execution in a much tighter time frame than we've done historically. And so that's one thing that uh, I think certainly PwC we've learned, but I think industry overall has, has learned. And, and sometimes that means absent chasing perfection, good and failing fast, while we talk about it, it was absolutely necessary. And so now I think going forward, you will see many companies, including PwC, um, taking that approach. All companies have, you know, um, disaster recovery plans and, 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 and planning for the unexpected. Uh, I think you'll see all of that tightening and, and an increased focus on the digital assets that are a part of that plan. Um, I am absolutely pleasantly surprised that in our case, our ability, PwC, to continue to serve our clients and our clients' engagement while we're doing everything virtual. You know, I will tell you that I don't feel like from the standpoint of engagement delivery, project delivery, that we've missed a beat. And, and I would not have expected that. And so I think while we've talked about technology and leveraging technology in the past, again, I think all industries uh, will be working on their virtual capabilities and what that means and, and, and how to integrate virtual throughout the entire journey of their customers, which is something, again, that historically we, we've talked about, but we haven't done to the extent that we could do. Last time we spoke, you discussed, which we really liked, the unconscious bias, um, biases that occur. Could you explain in a little bit more detail about um, your perspective and how that influences or affects businesses? Yeah, because, you know, oftentimes when we think about, you asked earlier about some of the things going on with, with the race um, and diversity and inclusion in our in our country. And Oftentimes, when we approach those dialogues and conversations, it's, it's about someone with one of the isms, right? Racism, sexism, you know, on and on. And I will tell you that uh, I don't believe this, and, and science sort of, not sort of, but, but certainly supports it, that it's, that that population of individuals that have those are overt racist, sexist beliefs are increasingly a smaller percentage of our population. But all of us come with 
these unconscious biases. And those biases are just as, uh, can have the same, if not worse, adverse effects on populations if we're not aware of them. And, and that's where the challenge becomes, because that means that, you know, you, I, uh, you know, other individuals who are, you know, by society standards, doing the right things from the standpoint of this, this, this conversations around the, the isms, but still are creating challenges for other groups. And, and you have to understand how those unconscious biases come into play day in and day out around your choices. And if you're not aware, then the, the, the population that has the isms, you're a part of that problem as well. And, and turning that mirror around and, and, and facing your own unconscious biases and understanding how they're playing themselves out day in and day out, that's the challenge that's, that's in front of all of us. What have you done or what has your company done or your community done to have those open and honest discussions? Yeah, so I'll start with myself first. Uh, back in 2004, five timeframe, um, I came out of client service, which is the organizations that, that serve our clients, and came into an eternal role where I was asked to lead our diversity and inclusion efforts in the Southeast uh, for PwC. And one of the first things I did was starting to read up on the space to make sure I was educated, but also did just what I'm describing. I took a look in the mirror and I started to think about, okay, as I learn more about unconscious biases, what are the choices I'm making day in and day out? So I think step one is you got to start with yourself, right? Before you start to try to engage anyone else in dialogue and conversation and talk with them about this topic, you've got to look yourself in the mirror and, and, and have an honest dialogue and conversation and an assessment of where you are on this journey. I think once you do that, approaching a conversation with someone else becomes much easier because instead of approaching the conversation from the standpoint of, I'm trying to change you or get you to see things this way, that way, you approach the conversation from a place really of empathy and a place of understanding because you understand where you are on this journey and that we all have unconscious biases. So that, that creates balance in that dialogue. And so that's what I did personally. From an organization, PwC, we 100% believe that it starts with the tone at the top. And so we've been on this journey for a number of years, but one of the first things we did was starting with our partners, engaging them around this topic, educating them on this, on this topic of unconscious bias. And then we asked our, our partners and we armed them with the tools to do it, to start a conversation and dialogue about unconscious bias with our staff. And, you know, our partners represent society. So some were much more comfortable than others in having this conversation, but we all leaned in and, and had the dialogue. But it was amazing on the, on the backside of that, the eye-opening and lesson learned through that conversation and dialogue. And so that was one of the things we've done. And we continue to have those conscious conversations internally uh, around unconscious bias. And we started with one-on-one partner to staff, and now we have them in broader uh, uh, settings uh, on a periodic basis. So having said that, what does the future of diversity and inclusion look like in an organization such as PwC? So one of the things we announced uh, 
this year, uh, and it was on the hills of, of some of the, the, the more recent killings with, with, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others, um, we're starting an organization whereby we've asked one of our very senior partners to be the quote unquote CEO of this organization. Um, we're partnering with other uh, companies ar around uh, the country. They're providing staff as well to this organization and ultimately, and so for PwC, we're providing fellowships, two-year fellowships. So imagine we're taking our people, keeping them on our payroll, putting them in a two-year fellowship with this new organization whose sole purpose is to work on public policy around these, these issues. And so being very proactive um, in helping to be a part of the solution as it relates to the systemic issues that we have that could go a long way into moving the needle from the standpoint of diversity and inclusion. So that is, is very exciting and is also, you know, as an organization as PwC recognizing that we have a tremendous role to play in this process and all of corporate America does um, and is and how we begin to help our legislators understand that ultimately, you know, as a corporation, we're hiring society. And so this is affecting our employees when they leave the quote unquote four walls of our enterprise. They've got to go out and be who they are day in and day out and walk in that skin and walk in that life. And so we owe it to them to do all we can to make sure that experience outside of PwC reflects what we're trying to do inside of PwC. So previously you spoke about um, career choices and students, and you stated that students needed to be mindful of like certain skill sets or business acumen, et cetera. What advice would you give students now that are, have just graduated that will assist them moving forward, especially in times like now? So I think, you know, certainly uh, technology and digital skills, uh, you know, they were important prior to the pandemic and certainly will be much more important uh, as we move forward in life because this is certainly, you know, a new norm for us. Um, <clears throat> and that's just, you know, the way it is. Um, I do think those students having lived through this uh, pandemic, having learned through this pandemic, are going to be much more prepared when they go into the workforce for the next thing. You know, I was reflecting on, I've been with PwC now 22 years. I've been through major recessions. I've been through, um, you know, what was felt like overnight uh, legislative changes that se severely impacted our business, uh, now going through a pandemic. So if you think about all of those cycles, some economic cycles, some like, you know, call it a natural disaster type cycle with uh, the pandemic, uh, regulatory cycles, those things in your career are going to happen. And how you pre are prepared and respond to those things is, is critically important. You know, I would, I would say that 90%, if not 100% of individuals graduating now over the life of their career, they're going to have to reinvent themselves. You know, I, I've done that. I think you talk to many executives, you will see over the life of their career, they've re reinvented themselves. And I think, you know, as, as students coming out now and they've thought about how they've had to reinvent themselves as a student, because you go from being in an environment where you're 
you know, shoulder to shoulder with your uh, classmates and you're learning in that environment is something that's very virtual. And again, that was almost overnight and you had to adapt and continue to make it happen. So those skills that allowed you to be that flexible and still perform at a high level, certainly going to translate into your, your professional career. Uh, the second piece is as we become, you know, more virtual, uh, I do everything now, you know, uh, virtual, but I, I turn my camera on because the benefit of body language and that facial expression and interactions becomes paramount. You know, if you're on the phone and you don't understand how that other audience is receiving your message, you stand to lose a lot in that conversation. And we took that for granted, right? When we were face to face with each other. Um, and I often would get on, you know, video conferences now with individuals, they won't have their camera on. Um, I can't force anyone to, but I think they're missing out on a huge piece of the equation because you don't know if someone is not in their head or giving you an expression like, what are you talking about? All right, <laughs> you need that feedback. And one of my favorite things that you say, a piece of advice that you have been given is that you can't be great at two things at once. What does that mean to you? It just means that you have to, one, take some time to understand whether or not you agree with that or not, because I think that's the first step. I mean, I, I think at times when I've said that in presentations, people sort of taken aback and feel like it's a personal, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, attack in some nature. But once you get past that hurdle, you understand that at different points in time in your life, there are trade-offs. And those trade-offs are between being great and being and greatness isn't the enemy of being very good and very good and, and or good in some instances is absolutely good enough. And I think for some of us, that's a hard place to be. And we end up chasing greatness across two or three things. And what you end up being is just average at all of them. And so you've got to understand where you are in your life and what you're choosing to be great at. Uh, and then what you're choosing to, as well, there's a trade-off that means you're choosing to be good at. I have the same dialogue with my clients. Uh, there are certain things that are baseline table stakes for any company in any space. But then based on your strategy, those are things that you absolutely have to lead in because it's part of your strategy. And you've got to be great there. But the things that are table stakes, and that so when you think about capital allocation and you take this to your personal life, Make, I'll make it real for you. So at PwC, we sell intellectual property. You know, I know we do accounting, tax, and consulting, but quite honestly, it's intellectual property. And that intellectual property resides between your two years. And so if I was making a choice to be great at PwC, then I'd understand when I'm thinking about my own personal growth and development, where would I invest? And it becomes quite clear that I get to be investing in this vessel of me because that's what the firm derives value from right it doesn't provide it doesn't sell paper pens or pencils it derives value and so if i'm thinking about where i'm going to spend my time effort energy and money it's in me so trade-offs around i used to be someone that took pride in and this is just one example in cutting my grass for example well there's a time trade-off between me doing my own lawn and investing in my intellectual property that resides in me and if you magnify that through everything in your life that takes away that time that goes into investing what 
investing into what produces value, then you'll make clear choices. And that's what that, that greatness conversation really is about when you start to boil it down to, to day in, day out. Okay, what, what does that mean from the standpoint of the choices I make? That's really great advice. Yeah, how long did it take you to develop that? So I, again, it was communicated to me by a mentor when thinking about, you know, I was coming up in my career and getting involved in external community service and board service but also trying to become at that time a manager, director, and ultimately a partner within the firm and starting a family. And so as you're looking at all those competing priorities and there's things that I like to do personally. So, you know, you guys know I, I played basketball at Auburn University, love the game, love the sport, and still want to get out and play in, in leagues and entrepreneurial leagues and do all that stuff. And so as you start, there's only 24 hours in a day. And so as you start to divide all of those things up and you think about your life evolution, I achieved my level of greatness in basketball when I was at Auburn University. So now for me, it was time to understand that it was time to turn the page and whether I was ready to accept it or not is a different story. But if I was choosing to be great now in my professional career, I couldn't be great at all for those things. And certainly there was no value to accrue to me any longer from being great at basketball in a city league. <laughs> that just isn't right. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a choice I had to make around. All right. You know, I'm going to continue to act, exercise and be active, but I can't commit to playing in a city league three or four games a week in three or four hours. That's just not feasible. If I'm choosing to be great in other areas. It falls right in line with the um, a saying that Sarah says all the time, and you have to reinvent yourself or be willing to reinvent yourself. I think that that's pretty hard for most people. And, and if it is hard, the next phase of that is, or be forced to. And sadly, there are many individuals, and you can look through all walks of life, that were forced to reinvent themselves. And forced, you can look at that at an entity level or individual level. Forced can mean you become irrelevant or obsolete. Um, and again, you know, you can go through countless examples of that. And I would, I would say from an advice standpoint, you don't want to become irrelevant or obsolete. That's not a good place to be working from. What's next for Larry Patrick? So I, I you know, I've mentioned to you guys, one of the things that was absolutely life-changing for me from, from Auburn University in Arizona, but this is one I'll point out. And it was the whole, uh, course I took around, uh, goal setting and goal planning. And so I've got and laid out and revisit on a periodic basis, my one, three, five year plan. Um, you know, I'll, in full transparency, I'm, I'll, I turned 52 yesterday. So I had a birthday <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my retirement age at PwC is 60. So if I work completely to retirement age, I've got eight years. Uh, you know, my plan has been very public to not go that far, uh, just given my plans outside of uh, PwC. And so there are a number of things that I'm very interested in. I've always had a strong entrepreneurship um, sort of gene inside of me. And so that's something that I'm uh, consciously working and focused on. I always, at my core, will be uh, an athlete and an athlete, you know, in basketball. And so 
coaching. I love coaching. I love teaching. And so that's, that's something that I'm, I'm thinking about as well. So I, and then, you know, not that I'm arrogant and think that I know everything, but when you take a step back and you think about your life journey, um, you know, there is a reason why you went through certain things. And to the extent that you can be honest and transparent about those things, I think you have an opportunity to educate others. And so I see all that to say, you know, I've thought about whether it's books or, or something that, you know, takes these experiences and provides a blessing to someone else and putting that and packaging it in a way that's digestible. So I know that's a long list, but those are the things that I'm thinking about. And they're all in my you know, goal planning books and they've got uh, content behind it. And then we'll narrow down on a choice because I can't be great at all of them. And uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, the competitiveness of you takes over, I'm sure, as an athlete, right? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's always there. <laughs> always there. I fight it daily. I fight it daily and embrace it some days. So. Well, there's a lot of really great information you shared with us between yeah, the two, so like Curry stated. And there, yeah, it's extremely valuable for uh, not just the students, but for everybody listening in. And so we really sincerely appreciate your time. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate everything you're doing uh, in your respective roles. So stay safe. Keep at it. Thank you. Too. Harvard, inspiring business.